see God at work in my life through you. I see him bringing forth faith in my life and confronting sin. And, and really, when I was finishing high school, I decided that like most most of my siblings and friends around there, I went to the Northland College. And it was halfway through college where you got, while I was sitting in a, I was taking a pastoral class that was a required class. I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I was pregnant. I wanted to maybe be a history teacher, maybe a missionary. I, I didn't know what, what I wanted to do, like most college students or a lot of college students. And I was reading a, a book on Charles Spurgeon um, by Dallimore. And reading that, God just moved my heart towards the ministry of the word and preaching and the ministry of prayer in a body of believers and what God does in a local church and through the shepherding ministry of a pastor and and through his preaching ministry, through his care life in the church, God was moving my heart to say, I want to be part of that. I want to do that. I want to give my life to that. I want to give my life to the caring for souls to see God work through this book, seeing this book do a work in transforming lives. And and it, I, I really think that around that time, God was calling me to the pastoral ministry. I did a pastoral internship, graduated, went to seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And in Minneapolis, I, I, I completed the Master of Divinity. And during that time, I... Um, was involved in some different churches, and I came to a church that was a, really a watershed. It was a paradigm-shifting time in my life when I went to a church called Bethlehem Baptist Church. That's the pastor was John Piper, and I had really not heard of him much. And, and God used his preaching and his teaching and leadership in the church to open my eyes up in a greater way to a really big God, a really glorious God. A God who, it, who so captivates our lives and hearts for our good and for our joy forever. A God who, who moves, who has given us the gospel of Jesus, in Jesus Christ, Jesus being God. And it was, it was during those years, and I came on staff there, and it was at that time where, and I shared this story last night at the Levine's house, where God led me into a relationship with my future and now wife, Molly, and it took a while for her to get her heart right and actually start to like me, um, and, then, and, then, and then we came together, and we were married in the beginning, in summer of 2001, and, and God grew us, and then, and then after about a year, after a year of marriage, a year of finishing up seminary and pastoring there, I felt like God, I felt the burden and desire to go to a smaller church, I desired to be a pastor that preaches every Sunday, is mar- marries and buries and cares and counsels and gives into the life of a church and grow that way. And God led us to a small uh, community church in the Minnesota area, about a half hour from Minneapolis, and we were there for ten and a half years. During those years... I just I look back and they were so special. They were so dear to our hearts. They're the place where all five of our kids were born. They were the place where I have those early years of marriage um, memories and of growing and struggling and, and and learning learning about my own problems and about my own insecurities and my own needs and learning about my gifts and learning about my weaknesses and learning 
what I needed to know, and learning how much I didn't know, and yet also learning about the grace of God, learning about his work in my life, and the, how he works through prayer, and how he works through this word, and how he works through the caring of God's people. And, and it was during that time, I, I just, I thank God for that time. Two years ago, over two years ago now, in, in the spring of 2013, um, the college that I went to and the college that my grandfather founded that it was my alma mater, it was really part of my heritage, was going through a very serious crisis in time. They were about to close, and, and they, were, they had made some shifts philosophically and changed some things, and their president had been, had been let go, and they were in the process of needing help. And I came as the chairman of the board at that time, and then eventually the president, and with the goal of trying to get that school on track and continue it on. In God's providence, two years later, we needed to close the school. We had two great years. In fact, Wes, Wes was here there for those two years, and he was able to graduate. But during those two years, um, I have seen, it, they were times of, of massive stretching in my life. I look back and I go, I'm a very different person than I was two years ago than when I left the pastor. I'm still trying to figure out what kind of person I really am because of those two years. I mean, they, they were just, they were not the normal pastoral experience type of stuff, dealing with a lot of fundraising, dealing with a lot of budgets, dealing with a lot of um, issues, staff issues, strategic planning, um, and, and yet looking back and going, I loved it. I loved what God taught me in that time. I loved his, seeing God's faithfulness. I loved seeing God doing a work in the life of staff, in the life of students, in the life of churches. I, I loved, I look back, and though I didn't love it at the time, it was painful at the time, the type of being brought out of my comfort zone that really was very uncomfortable and going after having to do certain things, I look and say, God, you were faithful. You were so kind to us. Thank you for bringing us and leading us and teaching us this. Thank you for the lives that were impacted. I'm so thankful for that. Um, if you followed, some of you might just barely have heard about it, but if, if you had, um, we were in the process of merging with a bigger school. That was our going forward plan, and it was an exciting plan. And really, two weeks before graduation, the, the, the acquiring school Southern Seminary decided to change their mind, which we had, it was all committed to in October, which was shocking to us. We didn't even think it was an option that they would back out. They backed out, leaving us with no other option, no other um, plan but to close. And that was a heartbreaking thing for me and our family and our friends and our my extended family and and just really the, what is the Northland community. And yet, God has been faithful. God has been kind. We don't understand why. As my son asked me last week at bedtime, why do you think God allowed Northland to close? And I said, I, I don't know. But I know he's faithful. I, I don't know. And maybe we'll know sometime, or maybe we will not. But I know that maybe one of the reasons is because God wants to take all the people that were at Northland, and he wants to disperse them. He wants to spread them and scatter them abroad and use them elsewhere. And for us, that's the case. God is moving us to a new chapter. 
and we're excited about it. And, and, and we're excited to be here. And we have gone through a process for quite a while, and now we're here, and we're saying, okay, God, is this it? We think it is. You need, you need, you need God to confirm it by your spirit through a vote through the congregation here. And, and that would be a confirmation to our family that he is calling us. And so um, I'll, I'll finish. But before I finish, I, I want to say, say this about myself. I, I want to list, I want to say a few words about what I listed on my resume that kind of went out. And uh, you got a copy of it, but I don't expect you all to study my resume. Um, a few of you might. But I, in that, I put core values. And, and I don't want to just list those core values and the just this blah, 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 blah. I, I want it to really mean it. I, re, I really, because I, I do think that they are core values in my heart only by God's grace. And I want, I want to see that going on here. I, I, want to, I want to flesh that or live that out in my life as a pastor where God calls me. And if that's here, here. And that, I listed these things. And that is a God-centeredness in all things. Because I think the most liberating and the most needful thing that a church have, needs to have is a, a big view of God and a right view of man. Too often it's reversed. A big view of man and a small view of God. And it's, and it's so man-centered. And when we get God right, we get a proper view of, of man, and it's liberating. Because we weren't meant to be the center of the universe. God is. Um, and that, that must play itself out in everything we do and how we live and how we think and how we make decisions, how we pray and how we, what we prioritize. Secondly, in, in embracing the functional centrality of the gospel. That's, that's a sermon series. But I, I want to, in my life, help myself better see and you better see how the gospel of Jesus Christ that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He rose and he buried. He was buried and he came and he, he dwells in you to all those who have faith in Christ Jesus. How that not just gets you into the door of the Christian life, how that is central to everything. How you fight against depression and how you fight against your own sinfulness and how you fight for purpose in life and how you deal with your problems of your past and, and how you deal with everything is so central to the gospel. The, and that's why it's called the functional centrality. It functionally goes with you practically. It's not just something you put in a theological drawer and you shut that open every once in a while. It goes with you and impacts every part of your life. Uh, three, clinging to the Holy Scriptures as the authority and source of life. As a pastor, I want to be a pastor that clings to this word. It is my authority. It is our authority. God, we we must say, where does it stand written? This is this is this is the way God speaks to us primarily. He does by His Spirit speak to us through His Word. He's but he's, He has given us this is His authority, and it is it is His it is not only our authority but it is our source of life. This is our bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by the very word of God. And I, I, I long to lead that way and pastor that way. Four, relying on God through the practice of prayer and life and ministry. And wanting to pour that out into others. I can't, I, I feel coming here and 
some of you, I feel a type of, man, high expectations for what I can do and be. And I feel like very humble by that, and I go, not me. I'm absolutely reliant upon the Holy Spirit. If God does something through me, it's because of Him working. If God does something in these services, it's through my preaching or other preaching, it's because of God at work. And our humble dependence, desperate dependence on Him. And, and that comes through a life of prayer, corporately as a church and individually. I, I, I like what Spurgeon said to his people when he was going to come. He said, he, he said, you must commit to praying for me. You must commit to praying for me daily. When, when asked late in his, he was considered the best preacher in England and maybe in the world. Thousands were came to the gospel and were saved. God, God transformed parts of London because of his ministry. And later on in his life, and, and, and he was said to, set, he, to, to exalt Christ in such a way where people who are so dead to spiritual things would come and their lives are transformed. And someone asked Spurgeon, what was your secret? And he said, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. Thousands would be praying in prayer rooms as he preached to thousands. Because he believed that God does the most decisive thing, not man. Another one is to serve the Great Commission in the local church and local missions. I'm going to speak something to that today in my sermon. But serving the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations. That means beginning right here in this community and in this church and in in your own family. Make disciples into the nations. Next, raising up leaders. It is very important that a church says, "I, I am about serving preparing to train up leaders. Not just one pastor or a few pastors, but people that aren't necessarily called to be paid to be pastors or staff of a church. But raising up men and women to so lead within the church using their gifts in the body because as Paul, as the Apostle Paul says, it is, it is the pastors and teachers, they are training up the saints to do the work of the ministry. It is not I, you're not hiring me to do the work of the ministry. You're, you're hiring me to, to train and disciple and to lead to, so that you will do the work of the ministry. I am as a Christian to do ministry because I'm a Christian. I am to evangelize and share my faith and love people and care because I'm a Christian. As a pastor, I'm called to preach the word and to so help equip you in the work of the ministry that God has called you to that you might bless others and truly find fulfillment in what God meant for you to be about. Um, embracing a lifestyle of life touching life advancement, discipleship. Discipleship doesn't happen primarily in a class like this, though it happens. Hearts are stirred in that. But it happens at Starbucks. It happens at McDonald's or at Neo's. It happens in relationship. It happens at sitting sitting across the table from one another and wrestling through issues. It's, it's come with me, follow me as I follow Jesus. It's a life-touching life. Come alongside me and let's live together and let's, let's seek God together. Type of, and, and I want that in my own life towards you and, I want, and that, that needs to be happening and developing with one another to each other and, and to those in our, in our community. The, 
two last that I wrote down here was prioritizing the discipleship of the family. And I say that for myself and for seeing that happen in this church. It's really important that the family, the family unit is cared for in a biblical way. Not in that kids are elevated to such high idols that can happen in some places, but the importance in the church of the church saying we must disciple parents, fathers and mothers, to so embrace the calling that God has called them to do, and that is to raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, calling husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and wives to follow, love, and submit to their husbands in a biblical way, in an understanding, in a way that God is glorified. And seeing that happen, and even personally, as I have five kids and I'm called to be pastor dad, even more, more than being pastor of this church, and wanting to see them raised up in the, the Lord. Lastly, is pursuing faith-filled risks for the glory of God and the good of others. I don't want to sit around here and be a country club. I, I don't want to be... A, it, the church is not a country club that sits around for our own sake. We are called to gospel risk-taking. We are called to... Because, because He has given all to us, we are so safe already. We can go and risk our lives and give to others. And we open our eyes to see those around in our community that so desperately need risking our reputation, not in sin, but risking what others think of us, risking by being faithful to the truth and loving people in this community that are in absolute desperate need and across the world. And I, I, I long for that to be the case. So that's, that's a little bit about me. Questions based on what I just said, or questions that you came to came here this morning and want to ask me. In the back. says we are all one members of one body, but but we desire maybe for geographical reasons because people live in different locations or because of because of different you know maybe relationships that God has uniquely brought together or certain topics or subjects that are being brought together that we gather in smaller groups and want to go deeper and follow Jesus together deeper and God just organically brings that about and we see God using that but we want to we want to fight so hard from this cliquish type of there's us versus them type of mentality I mean it, it, there is no, nothing easy about that so, I mean that is a battle that every church has to face and have to face to say but we do need to get deeper and, and, and just having big group settings you can't it's very difficult to have an intentional platform to live out the one another commands that Jesus and the 
apostles give us to love one another, to lay that life down for one another, confess our sins to one another, to forgive one another, to, to serve one another, and pray for one another. But I, I think that's something that I think one needs, a church needs to really wrestle through and say, okay, how are we doing? And then continually evaluating it, and at times mixing it up. Someone else, right? There was a question, there was someone, yeah. That's a good question, and that's, I think, a very important need in any church and a need here at Faith. Yeah. Okay, okay, well, I need to restate the question. The question was, how, how, do, how do we reach out to our community? How have I experienced reaching out to our community and the church that I was a part of? Okay, first of all, I want to say that I want to grow in that area personally. And I want to stir up people in the church that are especially uniquely gifted. I, as a senior pastor, as a pastor that's called to the ministry of the word and to prayer, which I think is one of the main callings of the, of the minister, he needs to be burdened about the full counsel of God and the ministry of God being ministered to in all the community. But he must realize that he is one member of the body, and there are many other members of the body that have gifts, and some of them are gifts that are they're pulsating with a burden towards the community. And I need to, we need to listen to that, be fed by that, and, be, and, and actually get their need, their help and counsel in, in, in exploring that. To us, it is creating, a, first of all, a culture where everyone understands that we all have, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning, we are all, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple of Jesus means you're called to make disciples of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We are called to do that. Now, each of us are differently gifted. Not all of us are gifted like Pastor Jack in the gift of evangelism. But some of you actually are. And you need to, 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 to develop those gifts. But we all are called to, to develop impacting and meaningful relationships with unbelievers and with other, with other people that God has put us. And so starting by creating a culture where we're starting to look around us and we need to start building relationships that, that are outward focused. That are, and for, for me, I, I need to, as a pastor, build relationships with unbelievers in the community. That's very important for me. That I, I don't just go all my time with Christians and believers. But for us, practice. So partly, for us as a church, we wanted to develop that culture where every of us, we just have a mindset of looking outward. But then, then with that, developing plans within the church on a regular basis that become part of, and, and always evaluating if they're effective and saying, okay, that's not effective, we need to move on and do something different. Different events um, that would be related to the church services or just different events that might be for men or for women or for families, that is very easy to invite your your friend to, whether it be for us, practically it was having golf outings, which was a tremendous opportunity. We'd have a golf outing and then a dinner, a barbecue after. Where, okay, there you go. There you go. And I didn't even know that. That's of the Lord. <laughs> no, um, but, but and to me, it's not so much that. It's about 
it's, for some it will be a fishing thing, or for some it's Monday night football, and for some it might be Pampered Shackman. Would be for me Pampered Shackman. But, uh, it, but it, or Mary Kay, or you know, it, it could be, or or some or different 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 events to saying, okay, I want I want to create an atmosphere where I can bring that person, but boy, I have an agenda. And it's not about just ramming the gospel down their throat. It is about I care about them. Here, I, we are. Here's the thing: as disciples, we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. And what is love? Love is an affectionate pursuit of what's best for somebody. And what's always best for your neighbor is them having their sins forgiven in Christ and having their lives transformed in Christ. And and, and not just some making a decision, but having, having a, a transformation take place. But that often, that evangelism is often a process, not an event. It is a process of bringing them in. So, oh, they come to that golf outing. And then you, then you invite them to this Easter thing, breakfast. And all of a sudden, oh, they, they already know so-and-so and so-and-so because they golf with them. And they're now starting to build this, and you're, you're coming in and you're having maybe these Christmas dinners or you're having a, a woman's cruise on a lake or uh, VBS or different different things that I think, to me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even want to say what they should be here until I find out what is, what is the culture here of this church. What are some of the traditions or what should be some of them? What are some of the interests that you have or you see are, is a need in this area that we could we could go after? And at times saying, that was a learning that was a bad idea in the end, and let's move on and let's correct it. Let's do something different. But saying we need to get out. Does that kind of, that help? Someone else? Herb? Yeah. Yeah. A 2020 vision. That's good. In, tw- in 2020, you, you know, I, I thought I thought it's a question that I think the entire leadership and deacons need to sit down and perfectly look at each other and get on our knees, but then bring to the congregation and say, "Where do we see ourselves in, in five years, in ten years?" And I would be—I I feel like I would be very presumptuous to say to give a number of where we would be. Well, we're going to be at 500 or 1,000, or we're going to have a new building, we're going to be that. All those things, I would like some of those things. If that was a result, let me me say this, if that was a result of biblical obedience to God's word of what a church is truly called to be, and what a church is called to be, I'm going to say more about this in my sermon, Jesus said, go and make disciples. And he said, I'm with you, and all authority has been given to me. And as a result of obeying God's word to make disciples and be the body of Christ, and to preach the word and to love one and love the Lord our God and love others as ourselves, as a result of that and of wise planning, because that, that's God, God, God calls the church to use wisdom and just the, the old word was prudence. In, in their management and leadership, as, as we plan and pray and seek God's will in order to strategize how we can better love this community and truly be a body of Christ, I would love to see, what I would love to see in five years is a significant growth in a love for God's word. But more than, if, but if you love God's word, it's because it, it results in obeying God's word. And obeying God's word, all of God's word, because Jesus said, he 
teaching them to do all that I've commanded you. That means making disciples. That means reaching the lost, reaching this community. That means giving generously because you love the gospel, not a church or a person, but you love the gospel and you just love to see what God does as you you invest in the kingdom. I love to see leaders raised up. I love to see husbands and wives grown in the faith and in love with one another because they love God so much more. And see, parents have a vision for their family and dream for their family in such a way that is so shaped by this word and not by this world. And I would love to see people coming in and going, this is a refuge here. I can look so different, and it doesn't matter. I come in, and I am loved, and it's not there. It's a love that transcends human love. It's the love of the Holy Spirit. And that, that's that's what I want to see in five years. I What? Growth? Yes. But summarize the question. The question was, I, I use the term pastor dad. And is that something that I learned from maybe from bad experience or struggle and then kind of got caught, you know, realized I need to do something, whether that was when I was at the college or before? No, not really. Uh, but I would say that the first several years in pastoral ministry is my kids started to, started to we're getting bored every couple years. <laughs> every year and a half they're coming. Um, and, uh, and, and it, it's, it's a very weighty thing. It's a very busy thing. And ministry can just absorb you and relationships can just take over. And, and I believe that God, before it was too late or even before it was a disaster, I believe that God brought a guy into my life who was the associate pastor that we hired, who's now the senior pastor of the church in Minnesota. His name's Dave Van Ecker. Someday I'll have him out here and he'll preach because he has family. He grew up in Monroe, Michigan. But he he came in with a type of philosophy that so impacted me. And he just so, he, he lived it out in his own kids, with his own family, and he believed it so deeply as a youth pastor and as a pastor. And it was this this philosophy. And, and God just instilled that more in my heart. It, I my greatest ministry here, and I would serve you the best, is if I am a good father and a husband to these kids. Now, I don't think if I'm a, I think if I'm a good husband to these kids, a good husband to a wife and a father to these kids, well, that's, uh, if I do that, I do believe that will result in, in that, that won't mean that I'll be neglecting as a, fa- as a, as a, a pastor and as a disciple. Because what they need is a hard-working pastor dad, too, that, that is not lazy but works hard and disciples and cares. They, they have, over the last five years and the last two years, seen a lot of painful things. But I think they've also seen the grace of God. And that, hey, we live in a world that has pain and suffering. It's not all 
It's not all peachy. It's not all shiny. It's not all rainbows. It's not all this. It's, it is tough. And, and yet, God's grace is sufficient. I think to me, fundamentally, is when God called, one of the greatest mission orders in the Old Testament, when God, God called Israel out of Egypt, in Deuteronomy we find the law being given, and then he tells Moses, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might. And what does he do right after he says that? Anyone know? And teach them to your children. He says, love God. And Jesus said, that sums up the whole commandments. And he says, now love God and then love God unto your children. And that's not happening in this world. That's not happening in the church. It's it's a winsome thing. It's saying, God is just so amazing. I want to bring you into that culture. The best analogy, and you guys are going to groan when I say it, the best analogy to me right now is an analogy. It's not the same in person importance. It's the Packers for me. You groan or smirk. I'm a Packer fan. I grew up a Packer fan. My dad bought me when I was in seminary a sheet of paper. It's Packer stock. I'm a Packer owner. Um, and I love I, green and gold. My, Molly met me in the offseason, and she didn't know what happened to me when, it, when preseason came along. And, and so the Packers, I love the Packers, and, and I have kids, and so I raised them in the nurture and admonition of the Packers. And so, but here's the thing is, I, the, do I teach them, you have to like the Packers or, what, or else? And you guys, no, it's winsome to them. They love, it's, to them, it's association of, of joy and fun and, you know, costume and, and pizza. And they, they're not, they don't think of it as this bumpy, boring, I have to do it. They're like, of course I, I, I get to be a Packer. I wouldn't think of it, I have to be a Packer fan. That doesn't force me. And it's raising up in that culture. And so that, I think that was really what, when Paul says, raise up your kids in the nurture and admonition, it's the whole, it's the ear, it's enculturating them in a winsome way. I want my kids to not just love God, not just know the standard and obey the standard, but love the standard. Because it's, because it's coming out. And boy, that's hard, though. And, and again, it gets back to, I need God's grace I'm dependent on his grace. I love the testimony of the founding pastor here. Pastor Jack is in, in Charlotte, and their incredible testimony of how they have raised kids that love Jesus. Oh, that's, that's neat. Yes? Absolutely, our, our ministry that the church needs to have. They, 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 we, we need. Okay. Oh, yeah. I need to restate the question. What is, what is the ministry? What is the purpose? Does the, what is the purpose of the ministry of the church in regards to ministry to, especially even unbelievers 
Would there be unwed mothers, um, needy teens, different di- people that are in need in our community that aren't necessarily in our church? They're not, they're not members of the church. What is the ministry of the church towards them? And I would say it is our ministry here. And we need to, as God gifts us and equips us, we have to open our eyes to say, where can we start to make serious inroads in, in ministries of mercy? We come to love them. We love them to meet their physical need, knowing that their physical need might be an avenue towards something so much bigger. We don't do it with strings attached. We do it, we do it and meet their physical need because Jesus tells us to. Tells us to, 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 to love one another in that way. But we do it, surely, not divorced of the fact that we so badly, they de- absolutely need their sins forgiven. They need a birth. They need the new birth. And so, so I, I believe that is the ministry of the church. I, and I, that's, that's good. Thank you. We have maybe time for one more question. Maybe for me or for, should I say, Molly? Sorry, Molly. <laughs> 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 It is, a, it is, you just brought up what is for us a very big thing for us, and that is moving away from our family. I live, I live a half a mile from my parents, who are, I would say, model grandparents, and that they're always gardening with our kids, playing with our kids, doing stuff with our kids, and a godly influence is important. And yet, they are at peace that God would be leading us here. This is what God does. And you know, this will be our family. And and I, I want to close with this passage that I, I was I read this morning. And this is my desire as a pastor if God calls me here. Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter two, for our appeal did not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, 
nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from men, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Let's pray. God, I do, there is so much in this passage by Paul. I pray that you would continue the pastoral ministry that has begun not just by myself, if you call me here, but with Jay and Wes and Jack and others and the deacons, that this caring ministry of being like a, a nursing mother caring and a father that's affectionate. Giving not only our, the gospel, but our own selves. I pray that you would make that happen way beyond just some top leaders but that would happen in every, with men and women in this church, that there would be a living out of the gifts that have been given and a ministering to this needy world and this needy community. I pray, God, that it would be true from this pulpit and in this room, and that this room in time would not be able to contain it size-wise, but that in this, this pulpit, said, like Paul wrote, that people received the word as it really was, and they heard it, that it is the word of God that came to them. God, so work in us, in this room, and through this church. Considered a privilege to be back with you. If you don't know, my name is Daniel Patz, and I'm here for the third time this summer. And if you haven't followed the church news, this is a unique Sunday and a unique service because at the end of the service, you'll have a business meeting, and then you are going to talk about me for a few minutes and then decide whether 
You'll talk with me behind my back. <laughs> and then decide if you, if you, and I really hope you think of it this way. If you sense that God and his spirit is calling you, moving you to ask me to be your next senior pastor. And as we have prayed and sought God's will, we believe that he has moved us in such a way that if you confirm that with a yes, we will take that as of God's will and we will come. But this morning, so this is a unique service. I'm, this is the first time I'm here with my entire family, and it's great to have them here. Thank you for welcoming them. I'm here with my wife, Molly, and we've been married for 14 years, and my five kids, Grace, Paul, Elijah, Barnabas, Mary, Ben, Usually when we leave someone's house, we just say, as long as we have most of them. (laughs) I want to read a passage of scripture that is very important to the church. It's very important to this church. It should be important to this church. It needs to be important to this church. It needs to be important to every pastor. It needs to be important to every Christian. And and I'd ask you to help me out here, but also help yourself out. And I apologize if this is associated with a tradition that was unhelpful to you in church tradition. But it's something that I have grown to enjoy, and I do it with my family. When I read the scripture, I read the scripture, and when I finish reading the scripture, I say this. This is the word of the Lord, and my kids say, thanks be to God. And the reason why we want to do that is because... I want us to just like, every time be stunned by, thanks be to God, He gave us His Word. This is the very Word of God. And so I'm going to read the passage of Scripture, and you can join with me in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. And this is, and I ask this morning that you would, so I pray that, and I have prayed that God would help us this morning, because this is a, a unique service in that you're coming here and you're thinking in terms of, okay, this might be our future preacher. And this is also a really familiar passage. But I pray that this would not be an audition, that this would not come across as a feeling of, Oh, I've heard this, let's get through this, and let's move to the boat, or something like that. But I believe that God in His grace intends for us to be ministered into and find great hope and great encouragement. And, and, should I say, for this namesake, great faith in God because of this passage this morning. So I'm going to read Matthew 18, 28, 18 through 20, and I'm going to say, this is, the word of, this is the word of the Lord, and if you would say with me, thanks be to God, that would be a help to me, and then I'm going to pray. These are the words of the Lord as Jesus comes, and he is raised from the dead after being crucified, and he told his disciples to meet him in Galilee, and he came to a hillside, and look at with me, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for giving us your word, not leaving us in silence, but revealing yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, in a very unique way. Thank you that we are here because 11 men heard this commission and obeyed this commission, and we're here today. Oh, Father, this morning, I ask that you would so unite this room, this church, this body of believers to better understand our mission and to rejoice in that mission and find hope and faith that you intend to fulfill that mission and to so graciously use us to do so. I pray that in these few minutes, you would be glorified, I would be helped, your church would be built up and edified, and especially our faith and a desire to obey you more than anything. In Jesus' name, amen. Stephen Ambrose has a cabin about a mile from where I live. He did have a cabin. He passed away around 2004. Stephen Ambrose wrote many books on World War II history, and one of the books that he wrote was called Band of Brothers. Any of you have ever read it or seen the HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers? So several of you have. In Band of Brothers, which follows Easy Company of the 101st Airborne Division, it follows this group of soldiers, these band of brothers, as they land and are paratroop, parat- they're landed on the other side of Normandy for D-Day, as they land and are stranded at the Battle of the Bulge, who fight timelessly throughout Europe after campaign after campaign. And in that battle, if you go to the HBO miniseries that they had several years ago, They have an episode later on towards the end of the series, after you watch battle after battle, after you watch that company lose soldier after soldier, and they have to take the the brunt of almost every battle, they get to a a worn-out section, and they had an episode, and it was called, Why We Fight. And in that episode, it begins where they're standing on these trucks, or sitting on these trucks as they're moving towards Berlin. And as they move towards Berlin, this is now in the spring of 1945, as they're moving towards Berlin, you have POW Germans being marched out of Berlin towards prison camps in Europe, towards Europe. And as they're up there, they are tired, they are worn out, they are frustrated, and they begin cursing at these Germans. And they start getting mad, and they start getting mad at each other. They are sick of it, and they are starting to wonder, why in the world did we ever come over here? Why did I lose this friend? Why did I have to see him die so brutally? Why did I have to endure all of this? The episode is called, Why We Fight. 
you may wonder why that episode is labeled that until as you go through this episode towards the end, they come and they're just doing some of their normal. They come into a German town, a German city, and they smell this odor. And they discover a concentration camp right outside of town that they were not aware of was even happening. And they discover the atrocities of the Holocaust in a new and vivid way, this easy company. And they are quickly reminded of why they fought. It was for many reasons, but they realized really quickly why they fought. I'm reading a book called Be Unstoppable. This author is a former Navy SEAL commander, and in that book, he uses a story, and he's telling, and he wrote it for the purpose of his kids, to train his kids, and he said this statement that stood out to me. He said, in using an analogy of a ship captain instructing a young ship captain, he said this, never leave the harbor without knowing, having a why worth dying for. W-H-Y. A why worth dying for. Never leave the harbor of your life without knowing the why in which you are dying, that is worth dying for. I want to talk to you about why we exist and why you exist. I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about mission. What is it all about? And I just read to you a passage that was the marching orders that Jesus gave to the 11 apostles. And those, Judas excluded, and these 11 apostles are going to be the foundation of the church. In fact, we find that in Ephesians 2, that they are the foundation. The church is built on the foundation of the, the apostles and prophets. Jesus told them to now go do something, and because they did it, we're sitting here today. Because they did this, because they obeyed this passage, we're sitting here today. And in this passage, we find what we call the Great Commission. We've heard the Great Commission. That It becomes a Christianese term, the Great Commission. We've heard the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? It's this passage. And usually that passage comes up at missions conferences or when a missionary comes. In fact, you can see we're having September 20th, missions focus. But missions is central to this passage. But it's not just about foreign missions. And I want to this morning talk to you about this church's mission and your mission and my mission. It is a mission that we are all called. And let me say this, it is a why of our life worth dying for. It is something that would explain why I exist and why this church church exists that is worth giving ourselves to. I, I, I want to I focus on what was this commission that Jesus gave. Jesus comes, and he tells his disciples to gather on the hill, and then he says, I'm going to come to you. And when he came to them, he gave them this message. He gave this message. Several other times throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he would give, he would do all, we'd have all these teach, all these actions. Jesus would do miracles, he'd do healings, he'd do all these things. And then we'd have a discourse, a, a sermon. We got like the Sermon on the Mount. 
different sermons like of the last times in Matthew 24. But in this time, we have all this action, Jesus' betrayal, arrest, his crucifixion, resurrection. And now, instead of a teaching discourse, a lesson, Jesus gives a commission. And it's the commission for each one of us. And I pray that as you listen just for a few minutes, you'll see, uh, you'll look through it through a lens of say, I am part supposed to be part of a church of God that is called to obey this commission. But that this commission has, has implications for us as a church and me individually. And then I, but, but I, I, and, and then I pray that we would go, though, being supported by something so foundational that Jesus said along with that commission. Let's, let's look at this commission. We find Jesus saying, I have a commission for you. I have a mission. You have a why now, disciples. You have a purpose. You have a plan. I'm sending you out on this mission. Why do you do what you're going to do for the rest of your life? You're going to find out right now. And Jesus said, make disciples. That's what he said. You see this passage, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the commission. You're to take that passage, you find right here, there's one main verb. That main verb is make disciples. You say, well, what is a disciple? Well, Jesus said, would say, I'm glad you asked, and will you read Matthew, and will you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And as you look at Matthew through John, you find Jesus teaching us to make disciples, because that's what exactly what he was doing. Jesus, in fact, there's a phrase that God uses that Jesus gave us in the Gospels, and it's called following me. He said, Jesus, over and over again, called called this making of a disciple, following me. Jesus told Simon and Andrew, follow me. Jesus called a scribe, follow me. He called Matthew and said, follow me. He told Peter at the end in in John chapter 1, you follow me. Follow me and be fishers of men. Follow me and take up your cross. Follow me. That is the language in the Gospels that Jesus used of being a disciple. It is being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when he's finishing up his commission, and he had just spent his three years of ministry, we believe, with these 11 men, and he was closely in their lives. He was teaching them. He was saying, watch what I do. And he, they, were, they are fumbling and bumbling all along. And they're learning, and they're struggling and learning. They're failing, and they're learning. They're succeeding, and they're learning. And and Jesus says, I want you now to go make disciples. And he says, before he was saying, and we're not going to, the focus of the sermon isn't the mission's implication, because it's there, though. It is to all nations, to all peoples of the world, and we are called to do that in this church, and all of us are called to have a heartbeat to all nations. But he says, go make disciples of all nations. And for us, that means Afghanistan and India. That means China and Indonesia. That means Bolivia and Mexico. That means Flint and Linden. That means to all nations and all peoples, he was saying, where in the, earlier in the Gospels he was saying, stay to the people of Israel. 
Now he's saying, I want you to go to all nations. It means that we're going to go, and the, the ver- word he uses, go, is as you are going. You're going to go out. And I want you to go out, and you're going to go out to make disciples. You're going to call, you are going to be a follower of Jesus, you 11 disciples. You followed me. You learned, and what, what does it mean that they were followers of Jesus? It meant that Jesus, when Jesus called them to follow Jesus, he called them to believe in him, to entrust themselves to him, to obey him. Build your life on my word, like a man building his house on a rock, to imitate Jesus, to change their own agendas to follow Jesus, to, ju- to adopt Jesus' mission, to restructure all of their allegiances. Their allegiances weren't to their parents, it was to Jesus. To pursue God's glory in following Jesus. That is exactly what God was saying to those 11 disciples on that day. You need to go make disciples. And they, they knew right away that meant, okay, we were called to follow you, Jesus. We continue to follow you as you go to heaven. And we are saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's the way Paul used it. Follow me as I follow Jesus. This church has a mission. That mission isn't to fill this room or to fill the offering plates. The the mission of this church isn't to have tons of programs and have a lot of splash in the community (coughs) in such a way that everyone is talking about us. That is not our mission. Some of those things will happen and should happen as a result of something much more important. But our mission of our church of this church, and of any church, and of all Christians, is to go and make disciples. And the way I want you to hear that is in this Great Commission is to follow Jesus and to take people with you in following Jesus. See, the Christian life isn't about praying a prayer, asking Jesus in your heart. It's not about reading your Bible enough, praying enough, going to prayer meeting or church services enough. That's not what Jesus called his disciples to do. He said, follow me. Follow me. And we find in the scriptures, there's the two categories of following Jesus. It's first, and every single person in the church, every child, every adult, no matter what age, they are called to follow Jesus to the cross to be saved. As they come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and their lives are changed and they realize they need a savior and they have a problem and they can never fix their problem and they repent and they turn and they are saved and their sins are washed away and they are renewed in Christ Jesus. That's what it means. That's what Jesus, when Jesus told Zacchaeus, follow me, Zacchaeus was coming to have his sins forgiven. Those disciples first came to him to have their sins forgiven. They came, and we come to the cross of Jesus Christ to be saved. That's where we, we and that's what we're, we're to call so many others. We're to live our lives to our kids, to the youth in this church, to the youth that needs to be in this church that we'll reach out to and bring into this church, to those in this in this community that you have connections with and you know they so desperately need the love of God. We are called to follow Jesus and call others to follow Jesus and find true life, true living water, true bread of life, a true shepherd of their soul, eternal life now and forever. We are called to do that in this great commission. 
That is the purpose of the church. So every ministry, every program, everything needs to, we need to say, uh, is it fulfilling what Jesus has told us to do? Yes, we will worship God. We will preach God's word. In fact, he says two of the main ways in which you are to make disciples as you go is baptizing and teaching all that I've commanded. Teaching not just all that I've commanded, teaching them to obey. How does that, that does not happen at one time. It doesn't happen in a 12-week lesson. It happens through a life of ministry, of of coming alongside of others. Jesus did call a class together and say, we're going to have a discipleship class, and we're going to teach you to be a disciple. He said, follow me. And he, and he said, and he came alongside of them, and they ministered. And God calls us to be a body that does that to each other and to the world. We come alongside and say, follow me. As I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner, and I struggle, and I need God's grace, but I'm following Jesus. And he saved me from my sins, and he is the true eternal life. He is what I truly need, and he's what you truly need. That is our mission. That is our why. That that's, someone say, are you a Christian? Well, what does that mean, a Christian? A Christian can mean so much things nowadays. I don't know. What, I follow Jesus Christ and his word. And I, but I follow him not only he's washed away my sins, and now I'm following him as I take up my cross and follow him. There's many sermons here, and I, I don't want to get into all of those sermons. Jesus said to follow me meant to take up your cross and follow me, to lay down your life. In fact, following Jesus means trusting his leading and relying on his provision. Following Jesus as a disciple means obeying his commands and imitating his ways. It means adopting Jesus' agenda and following Jesus' mission and promoting his naming and displaying his glory. God calls us to all of that as a church, as a whole, as a family, as couples, as an individual. We are called to follow Jesus, and we are called to be, I like to say it this way, we are called to be and make disciples. To make disciples, you have to be a disciple. You have to be a follower of Jesus. And, and, so do, and, and if you truly are a disciple, you're gonna, a disciple does what Jesus tells them to do, and that is to make disciples. It's not easy. It's a process, and we grow, and we're struggling through it. But God, that is, that is what we are called to as individuals and as the church. There's a lot to be said on that. There's a lot to be said on that, and that I could say this, that this process of becoming a disciple of Jesus is this. It is the Spirit-initiated and God-led process of becoming like Jesus. It's a process of us becoming like Jesus. That's God's intention for every believer. We find that from Paul when he said, He said, I work all things together for good. And why am I working all, what is that good that I'm working all things together for? I am in the process of making my new creation, everyone that I've saved, and I'm saving more and more all the time through the church obeying this great commission, and I'm I'm conforming them into the image of my son. And that's the most loving thing that God could ever do for you and me. He, he He is loving us so much that he wants to make us like himself. Like, the image, like we were really meant to be image bearers of God in the fashion of Jesus Christ. Jesus is doing, God has called us to do that. And it is a spirit-initiated, God-led process. It is God doing it. 
God working in. Making disciples is something that we obey and we follow, but we realize it is God that must do the work. It is God that must, on Sunday after Sunday, use this sermon, this time, this time of worship, to move in hearts. God needs to do it. We need to expect Him to do it. We need to pray more that God would do it. Whether we have small groups and we revitalize them and do different things or different groups and different outreach ministries and different classes and youth ministries, all of those things, we must so commit ourselves to say, God, you must do a work. We commit it to you and your hands to do a work. And our desire is that we would see a following of Jesus Christ for more and more people. That's what you called us to, to make disciples. And in so doing, we'll be baptizing as they follow Jesus and make that public. And we will teach them to obey God's word because God's word is our life and is our love. I would love to spend a lot of time unpacking this and spend time on talking about what does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus. We could say a disciple of Jesus is, I could list you seven things. I could list you a hundred things of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He sees God in his word rightly. He's becoming a suffering servant. He's growing in godliness. A disciple or a follower of Jesus is someone that learns to, is a debtor, a lover of people, and, a, and a, a lover of God and a worshiper of God, and it learns to function as part of the body of Christ. That's All those things are true about a disciple of Jesus. But I just, I want to... I want to ask each of you to say, I want you to ask this question to yourself. Are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus in your life? Would it be said, if, if your son was asked that question, is your dad a follower of Jesus? I mean, truly a, a legit follower of Jesus. Is your mom, is your daughter a true follower of Jesus? I want you to I want you to think about this right now. What does it mean for you in your home, in your job, your involvement with this body? Are you following Jesus? Are you, are you, are you saying, okay, I come to you and I lay it down? I need, to, I need to have a whole different perspective in how I think about my work, my, my family, my church, my life. And I would say, as you've come to know that, you find liberty. You find liberty. Now, I want to conclude with this. There's a lot we could say about that. I want to conclude and give you much hope and much faith. I love this passage, and I love what he does. And as I was studying and praying through this passage last night and this morning, I, I just pled with God, God, would you help us to feel the weight of this? I don't want you to just sit here and go, Okay, we got this task, make disciples. I've heard it before, make disciples, and I'm to follow Jesus and bring others following Jesus. I want you to see that not only is there a great commission in this passage, there is what one commentator said was there is a great claim in this passage, and there's a great comfort, and those two surround that passage. So let's look at this. What does Jesus say in verse 18 before he gives the commission? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
he gives the great claim. Because he says, go therefore. What's therefore for? We should always say, what's that for? Oh, it's because he just said all authority. The why for my mission is because Jesus is king. There's a new world order. Jesus is leading. Jesus is on the throne. He is seated. In fact, he went right from there to the right. He ascended into heaven, and he's at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is there, and he is ruling until he makes all his enemies a footstool. It says a prophecy in the Old Testament, and it's confirmed in Acts and in Hebrews, that Jesus is doing that. Even though we can look around and say there's a mess everywhere, Jesus has been given all authority. This isn't some fake authority. It's not a delayed authority. Jesus is king, and he is ruling, and he is overall, and we can rejoice in him. And we must know that all authority has been given to us. <coughs> all authority has been given to him. And it says in Ephesians, and he gives all things to the church. All authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. I have been given control. I, the one who created the universe, am giving you orders. I, the one who can speak and the wind stop. I am the one that caused water to be turned into wine. I, the one who raised the dead. I, the one who does all things. I have been given all authority in a very unique way by the Father, and I'm telling you to go do something. What do you think that means? If God says, I've been, I have all authority... Now go do something. You think he's going to help you do it? Yes. He, that, that is, this is meant to have tremendous cause of our faith built up. You are told to go and follow Jesus in your home, to make disciples in your community and in your church. And he says, all authority has been given to me, by the way. There, there's a lot of theological we can, things that we can look at because in the Old Testament, there's a psalm that said in Acts, Psalm 2, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, ask of me, and I will give the nations as an inheritance. I think what God said, you're on the throne now, what do you want? Jesus said, give me the nations as an inheritance. And Jesus says to the disciples, the Father's giving me all my, my inheritance for my death and resurrection. Now go get the nations. Go make disciples of all nations. I've been given all authority. Now go do it. In over 300 years, 11 men, and then what we found in Pentecost and Acts, the world was turned upside down and became a Christian. The, West, the Roman Empire became a Christian empire. Yes, filled with a lot of mess, but still the church moved and spread throughout because the gospel, the church was known for love for one another in the gospel was advanced. That's the great claim. And I, want to just, I want to conclude with the great comfort. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. That rings of Joshua when God says, go into the land, but do not be afraid or do not be dismayed because I'm going to be with you. We, read, we, sing, we hear the psalmist singing psalms like Psalm 46, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because he is with me. And so we have here Jesus saying, and you just think with me here, he's saying, 
I got a command for you. Go make disciples. And by the way, all authority has been given to me, and I'm with you. What should you conclude from that? He is going to fulfill his, his this mission. He's going to use you, and you need to expect that he's going to do it. And I, I want to encourage you with this in conclusion. As you think about your own life and the church, as you think of your own life, and I ask this question, are you following Jesus? Are you a young person? Maybe you're 15 years old. Are you following Jesus Christ? And you say, oh, what, what does that really mean? I've got to figure that out. Go, yeah, go make that an exploration to follow Jesus. You who are 22 years old or 32, are you following Jesus? Jesus said, follow, he says, all authority has been given to me and I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. My presence is worth 10,000 friends who you think bring comfort to you. My presence is full of true joy, the psalmist said. I will be your God. I will be your shepherd. Yesterday I was talk, talking to Herm, and he brought up a quote from Mark Twain, and I want to conclude with this. I thought this, was, this is helpful and fits into this. Mark Twain said this. He said, the two most important days of your life are this. The day you were born and the day you learned why you were born. And I want to apply it to this. By God's grace and his work of making disciples, to the biggest days of our lives is that when we're born spiritually, and as we're born spiritually, he is in the process of more and more realizing why we were born again. We were born to be his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And just like anything that lives for what it's made to be, it functions the way it should be, and it finds fulfillment in that. And so we are called as a body to make disciples. I would say we are to glorify God by making disciples because we love God and others. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would take some of this, that which you find important, most needful and helpful to each individual, and apply it to their hearts and lives. I pray that you would unify this church to make, go and make disciples. 